0: you're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, all things kimchi. Chef Sohee Kim from Insa and the Good Fork in Brooklyn sits down with Associate Editor Emile Stonic to talk about how you can ferment pretty much anything. And then Andrew Knowlton talks to Ashley Christensen, chef of Pools Diner in Raleigh, North Carolina, and like six other restaurants about her new cookbook, Pools, and uh, what she's got going on. So, let's do this. Here's
1: Emil and Sohee Kim.
0: Well, thanks for coming in to talk about kimchi.
2: Thanks for having me. This is super fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, I guess, you know, to me, the, the first thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, the way that kimchi has kind of like infiltrated our culture and is not this kind of mm-hmm. niche right. like exclusively korean thing at this point. And I was wondering, you know, it's like now I feel like it's something I see everywhere. And I was wondering how kimchi in culture is different from it was, you know, maybe yes. 10, 20 years ago.
2: Right. I agree. I, I've noticed that over the past 10 years. You know, my gauge for sort of kimchi and its rise to mm-hmm. popular culture um, sort of starts with uh, when I opened the first restaurant, the Good Fork. Mm-hmm. Just a neighborhood bistro. And I wanted the menu to be a little bit globetrotting. Right. And I put kimchi on the menu. But I wasn't sure how it was going to be received, so I, I sort of, you know, put it in, incorporated into a dish called steak and eggs. Uh-huh. And so what I did was I took my, you know, homemade kimchi and I folded it into rice, and then that sort of served as a bed for this oh, okay. delicious... So, you know, I couldn't, like... Outright, say okay. Here's a bowl of you know fermented cabbage. Right. You know, enjoy and just have it on the side. Um, but because
0: people were familiar with steak, and that's eggs. right.
2: So and then and then of course you know so it became sort of a signature dish, mm-hmm. and people really loved it. And then like a couple of years later, you know, we noticed that a lot of people were re- requesting it. You know, oh, as wow. a side on the side, um, and also you know when we would go out, just all these you know Korean taco trucks. You right, know, totally. with bulgogi taco and you know chopped up kimchi slaw, like. Right. It really, and now you can find it at Whole Foods, you know, big vats. You know, I've been trying to perfect this one particular, um, the kimchi recipe, Uh which is a Napa cabbage. And that's been a very fun journey. Um, In the beginning, I used to fly out my mom who lives in California and make kimchi like two, three times, you know, like the old fashioned (laughs) Mm -hmm, way and like mm -hmm. make big old vats of it, you know. And and it would last like, you know, for the whole season.
0: So you were just alluding to having... Kind of a master kimchi, like Mm -hmm. a base kimchi, which Mm -hmm. I think is kind of the the kimchi that most people are familiar with Mm -hmm. and have seen in other places. So, like, will you describe that kimchi a little bit to us?
2: Sure. So, I guess historically, it's, you know, just like a lot of other cultures, it's a preservation method, right? So, in the fall, Korea is, is four seasons. And, you know, just like here in the fall, you just get a bumper crop. Of things, and you want to preserve it through the cold, you know, cold times, the winter. Um, So it basically, people would gather all of their harvests. I'm going way back now, right? Mm -hmm. The way it traditionally was done in villages and, you know, households. So they would all put all of their harvests together. And then they would have what's called kimjang. That just means to make kimchi, like a big kimchi party, if you will. So, you know, different women would have different tasks. And uh, the first thing to do is to to wash and salt the cabbage, and uh, as you as you know, Napa cabbage is sort of oblong, and you would quarter it, and then um, salt it. So so one you know family would be responsible for salting it, right? And another family making the marinade. Mm-hmm. You know all that stuff that you slather into it.
0: You know what I remember from when we were making kimchi together is you were talking about that salting process at right. the beginning, and I, I think you it, I, I can't remember what the word was but it was, I think you were saying to kill to it. To kill, was, yeah. that's right.
2: To juginda, which means to kill, to kill the cabbage, <laughs> to, to get all the life out of it, yeah. which means just for it to release its initial moisture um, so that it becomes limp. And so once you salt it, you know, in the correct way, um, and that's, you know, with any kimchi, whether it's quick or, you know, the actual cabbage um, kimchi that we're talking about, the, I, th- I think the most important thing about it is the salting process. And because, you know, that's when you make it into a right sort of consistency of wilting and also you season it at that point. Because the marinade itself is just heat, fire, funk, you know, and other little flavoring stuff. That you know, one kim- one woman's, one household's kimchi recipe differs from another. Some people put apples in for a little touch of sweetness, you know. So all, there's all these hidden secrets. But the the gist of it is to make this big vat of kimchi, and you divide it up into these wares. And uh, you know, back in the old days, they would just bury it in the ground. So then what you what would happen? You seal it tight. You bury it. And then what would happen is just the seasons, you know, it would cool down steadily, um, the earth, you know, not it doesn't freeze over, right? right. As as opposed to the external outside. So no refrigeration it's like the best place to keep it. And when you open it up in the spring, and I remember I have very vivid memories. I, I you know, was born there, I lived there till I was ten. And I remember um many a uh, Kim Jong, sort of, you know, in the spring tasting this fruit of the labor and mm-hmm. it's just so funky in the most perfect way. Um, and it's just delicious, but you could eat it throughout the whole, you know, winter season.
0: Yeah, my girlfriend, Lauren, who's um, her grandmother is Korean and she would describe, she grew up in San Diego and she was describing the way that she would start her kimchi, which was, which terrified her, which was <laughs> that she would just dump all of the ingredients, all of the marinated Uh, cabbage into a huge black contractor bag and tie it off and leave it outside in the sun for like 24 hours like it would just be like baking in the sun on a picnic table (laughs) and then after that she just remembers it, it like being opened up and there's just being this like poof of, of like yeah. intense like because yeah. it was just so active sure in sure. the like in the like 90 degree sure. heat. All that and then lactic she would yeah. then she would pack it into jars and put it in the refrigerator right but it was like that right. initial jump start was right. what it needed to get going mm.
2: oh yeah that's a great it down that's and, a great down and method. Dirty. method yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> down and dirty in <laughs> contractor bags yeah seriously that <laughs> is pretty but you know you get the point definitely yeah. absolutely
0: So that's kind of what you're describing as kind of the standard Napa cabbage kimchi that is always going to be like – you know, a part of your ban... Well, do you want to talk a little bit about banchan? Sure. And what that is and sure. it, how integral that is to sure. a, a meal?
2: Sure. So, so you know, the, the kimchi recipe that we just talked about um, is pogi kimchi, which means um, sort of whole kimchi or mm-hmm. quartered kimchi. So all the kimchis they um, there, you know, as we discussed before, like a million versions, right, with every vegetable, any vegetable, that pretty much lays the foundational work for banchan, which is a Korean term for side dishes. So a typical Korean meal would have, you know depends on how fancy you are or how much time you have to make all these side dishes. But basically, if you have like two or three panchan side dishes um, comprising of, you know, something kimchi, like a, you know, pogi kimchi or, you know, fresh spinach, you know, from the market and you make like a quick dressing with it called namul. And then, you know, say you have another, say, dried anchovy side dish mm-hmm. that you stir-fried stir with so soy good. sauce and, you know, a little bit of honey. That... So right there is your foundational meal. And then to that, you just add a steaming bowl of rice and then maybe a little bit of denjangjigae, which is a Korean version of miso soup. And that is a meal. Breakfast, Mm. lunch, and dinner. And that is the simplest Korean meal that you can have. So, you know, of course, when you get into the restaurant world, of course, the banchan is, you know, they they rate a restaurant by its side dishes. How many Mm. you get, what the variety is, how many meat items you get.
0: Will they refill it?
2: Will they refill (laughs) it? (laughs) (laughs) So that's one of
0: the really exciting things about INSA is that you are... You know, there are a lot of places where you can have Korean barbecue in New York and it's it's very good. Um, But to me, the thing that really is really exciting about what you guys are doing is really, you know, it is traditional, Mm -hmm. but the thing that you're doing that is kind of new or exciting or different is just the quality of the ingredients that you're right. using.
2: So at inside, so I wanted to offer that traditional funk, that traditional, you know, pogi kimchi, um, and also a very traditional kimchi that people, Koreans love. It's called kakdugi, and that is basically radishes, uh, mu radishes um, that are sort of like daikon but much bigger. I feel like sweeter, crunchier. We um, cut that up and, and, you know, salt it. And we make a kimchi with it. um, And then we let it do its thing, fermented, and mm-hmm. it gets really sour and kind of funky and crunchy. It's so great. And then the rest are from the market, from the farmer, and um, it, you know, that stuff is, like you said, we talked about, you know, quick fermentation um, and quick dressing. So you can definitely, you know, the definition of kimchi, like I explained to you before many months ago, it is very loose, um, but there's another word called muchim, which sort of means like... What does it mean? It means uh, somebody's <laughs> going to correct me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it just means sort of um, dressed in a way or just kind of tossed together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that was what I loved about the the recipe that we ended up, that we worked through together and that mm-hmm. we ended up running was that, you know, we were, during the testing process, we kind of didn't want to stop because we were just having so much fun with so many, you know, oh, it was good. Like, we were, you know, it's, we were using carrots and turnips and radishes and cucumbers and, Just anything that we could find, like okra. I think we tried. Yeah, and I thought what was really cool about the recipe that we ran too. And this, you know, it's like I also am a big fan of the like super funky, Mm -hmm. like really intense, Mm -hmm. like you know, you like open the jar and like everyone in the house is like, (laughs) "What is that?" (laughs) Um, Like that's that's like my thing. But also, I think that you know, so many of these kind of the alt kimchi's that we made, if you're turned off a little bit by like that intense, funky, fizzy quality. Right. Like this kimchi is a good place to start.
2: Absolutely. And you know, this is something that uh, dawned on me. I, I don't think we talked about leafy kimchi. Um, you know, we talked about na- Napa cabbage and, and, and the, the radishes. But in the summertime, a lot of people ask me about their CSA, CSA bags. Uh-huh. And uh, of course you could, you know, kimchi the heck out of a lot yeah, of those totally. vegetables. But the, some parts that people don't quite know what to do with, like say for instance... You know, radish tops and greens, um, beet tops, you know, and greens. Um, You could kimchi that for sure using that recipe. So all you have to do is just salt it. Sometimes you could just quick, give it a quick saute, like a, kiss of the heat, you know, and uh, an approach, you know, with the salt and uh, and the marinade and and that you could leave on your counter for a day and then put it in the refrigerator, eat right away.
0: So now we're kind of like we've gone down this like will it kimchi rabbit hole. Is there anything that you wouldn't kimchi? Is there Let's any there, or even like maybe not necessarily are there any things that you wouldn't kimchi, but there are any like mistakes that people might be tempted to make or like? You know,
2: quite honestly, no. I mean, you know, the top two produce, I've had a lot of this uh, over the weekend actually. Um, you know, fr- now you get fresh corn, right? Sweet summer corn. Um, that obviously I wouldn't necessarily, it's too starchy um
0: we actually did experiment you did
2: how did that come out i didn't like it yes I like that. so That's i i can't imagine that it would be very good so you know beautiful summer fresh corn should be eaten right off the cup <laughs> 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 and tomatoes you know w- you know we like to serve i'd like to serve that as banchan at home and elsewhere too just no, no so just fresh so what you're talking about is just dressed right gotcha. as you would you know. Um, just olive oil it, or, or put some vinegar, lemon juice, whatever. Um, but th- with using Korean ingredients, rice wine vinegar again, maybe a touch of gochujang, which is a paste, a little bit of the the pepper flakes, um, some fun oil that you want to drizzle, and a little bit of and salt. I mean, how good does that taste, that right? Great. Right. To 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 accompany. Uh, to go along with that funky cabbage, you know, right next to it. So I think that you can, you can't really go wrong. But things like corn, yeah, I don't think that, and you already, you already proved that. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs>
0: don't, do not try this at home.
2: Right, but I, I think um, almost anything. You could totally, totally try kimchiing it for yeah. sure.
0: You And you were saying so that when, before INSA, when, um, with your first restaurant, Good Fork, Mm -hmm. you you, you were talking about flying your mom (laughs) to New York to help make the big batches of kimchi that would Mm -hmm. last you for a while. Is... Does, now does she have like a special recipe or is is that something she gives to you, like gave to you or is, or was she like not letting you in on that oh, she would no. have to do it herself Oh
2: no yeah she gave me the recipe although it was never sort of written down and and uh, it, so just to tell you it took me about 10 plus years to perfect you know this mm-hmm. kimchi that we serve at the good fork and also at Insa um and it, like I said to you it's an ongoing fun you know process But the sort of the master kimchi recipe um, is not my mother's recipe because, you know, when (laughs) in the beginning I kind of didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't really trusting my gut instinct. And I said, okay, so you're the pro mom, come and show me how. And so she would say, okay, so you take a handful of this and a chunk of that and then and then you just kind of have to feel for it and then no that's too much and you know she's old school sure um and this idea this is this korean term called sonmat, which means the taste of the hand and uh, i've always and, you know when when you say oh she's a great cook she, you know she has really great her her hands taste great i mean you know <laughs> loosely and silly translated but it really it, it really does translate to taste of the hand and it's some somebody's touch right and my mother has always been complimented on her touch of kimchi. Um, so a recipe is similar, but she puts grated apples. And oh. I didn't like the fact that it made the, some chemical component in there, just like what's in pineapple and some kiwi. It just breaks down the, the cabbage a little too much. And it, oh. it makes it just a slight titch mushy in my opinion mm. her kimchi once is long long fermented um so i omit that and her kimchi does definitely taste different from mine yeah <laughs> now i have my kimchi identity <laughs> 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 different from mom's <laughs> i
0: well it's interesting because the the, sh- the addition of fruit right is like you know there's a lot of sugar that's mm-hmm. being added in at that point which i think would it seems like that would also kind of, like, jumpstart the fermentation process. Absolutely. You are know, like, including more sugar for all those organisms to digest. And I wonder right. if that's like, makes it a little mushier. That's too, absolutely. You know?
2: I think that I found that to be definitely true. In the recipe that we ran, there's a, a touch of sugar. And so in place of that, you could definitely experiment with, you know, whichever fruit you want to put in there to make yeah. it sweet. Um, but, yeah, it does absolutely um, help it. To jumpstart, And that you know, if you don't put fruit or a pinch of sugar in some of these alt kimchis or straight up kimchis, it, it does. It's a little too strong, mm. um, uh, sour. So it's a little bit of that, a little bit of the sweet, I think, counterbalances and yeah. it, it makes for a great kimchi.
0: So one thing I, I want to ask you is I feel like when people when you when you tell people that they could, you know, make kimchi at home, that they could ferment it at home. I feel like people are like. Some people get freaked out and yeah. worried that they're going to hurt themselves or right. they're going to like like something's going to go wrong mm-hmm. and they're going to kill their whole family. I imagine that you don't worry about that too much. And, no. and if there's anything you could say to put people at ease.
2: Yes. And I think the fact that you are salting, you know, the, these vegetables pretty well and that in and of itself is a preservation method. And it, it wards off um, bad bacteria. Right. And bad bacteria is what people should be afraid of. Right. Um, and I'm afraid of bad bacteria but the whole art of making kimchi and and you know fermenting foods is to produce all the good bacteria that is good for your body. it's kind of foolproof you know what I mean so long as you don't the whole black garbage bag idea (laughs) I wouldn't really go with that as your first step (laughs) I wouldn't recommend that technique it's 2.0 yeah but um, (laughs) actually I would be scared to do that
0: (laughs) cool yeah so find our alt kimchi recipe and start kimchiing everything that's right Yeah. (laughs) thank you so much Sohee for coming out thank you
2: so much for having me this was great fun thank you
0: All right, that was Emil and Sohi talking all things kimchi. Right now, we got Andrew Knowlton and Chef Ashley
3: Christensen. All right, Ashley Christensen, welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
3: James Beard Award winner. How many restaurants do you have now? Seven? Seven. That's a lot. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about your first restaurant, uh, Pools.
1: I'm excited to talk about Which place. you
3: have an, a brand new cookbook out. Pools is your baby,
1: yes. So tell our, me a little our bit. Our firstborn,
3: of, yeah, your firstborn. Tell me a little bit about what it means to you and kind of where you were when you opened it and and how far it's come. Uh, it's been around for nine years now.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as you know, the building itself is an old diner from the early fifties. This is right downtown in in Raleigh. Right downtown, you know, pools for me means a lot of things. Um, it's a, a symbol of things that are a part of community that, that uh, we like to keep around based on, you know, the, my landlords are the original family, Um, the family, her father actually built the building. Mm -hmm. And so that's pretty special to us. So I think that idea of keeping something alive that um, helps to define what a place has been and and what the things that we want to, you know, commit to keep it to be. So, uh, but for me, it was at a time when I had done what a lot of chefs do and decided I, I think I'm ready I think I'm ready to open my own place
3: could you'd been at a place just in town.
1: Yep, it was called Inoteca Vin mm-hmm. and uh, it was actually opened by Andrea Rusing who was the sh- mm. the, the chef there at the time and um, Who now owns Lantern
3: Lan- and then has a place at the Durham Hotel. In-
1: Lantern okay. in the Durham Hotel yeah. yes, so uh, I got to work for her which was incredible mm-hmm. and then she went on to open Lantern Uh, I went on to do some things just to keep learning and um, had the opportunity to come back as the executive chef there and had a really great time, you know, just the experience of really, I think, you know, from from the position of being called a chef to actually become a chef Mm -hmm. within that title. Uh, and to you know, sort of start the voice or the search for my voice, which I, I had encounters with, but I wouldn't say that I really became who who I you know who I would be, which is you know which I think a lot of chefs do is to go back and embrace who you are and right. what, what you connected with that. Helped you to fall in love with cooking or where, entertaining and, in the first and where place. Where are you? Where are you from? Are you from? Uh, I'm from North Carolina. Okay. I, I grew up about 90 miles west mm-hmm. of uh, of Raleigh. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And pools was originally it was an old it was an old diner, right?
1: Uh, well, it started as a pie shop, okay. and then uh, they sort of converted the front area. Of the building to be a little luncheonette to sort of make, they started to see all these businesses opening up around them and mm-hmm. uh, and so they decided to start to do what we all love to do, which is feed the people who are there.
3: Mm-hmm. Was there one thing Raleigh was kind of known for business-wise? Well, well, there or? were a
1: lot, of, specifically on that block, there were a lot of, um, like, tire shops. Tire and, shops. And, yeah. <laughs> and and automotive-focused <laughs> place. So the building uh, that we have actually, a little while back, have uh, secured next to us was an old tire shop and there was a tire tire shop on the other side as well, which is no longer there. Okay. So, so like at the time where I took over the lease there and started to do work to make what we, of course, again, like a lot of people think would be a, uh, a turnkey project. Right. A, a year later, we opened pools, <laughs> um, with some new promises and commitments made. You'd
3: mentioned when you opened pools that, um, uh, maybe it kind of helped you find your voice culinary wise. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, you know, when I, the times I've been there, it's, it's, rooted in obviously southern food, uh southern ingredients. Um but one thing I love about the restaurant is there's always been the, kind of no nonsense to it. It's very approachable food. It's not trying to make a huge statement, you know. Right. And I feel like a lot of times southern food this 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 renaissance of southern food is people feel like they have so much to prove. Sure. You know, I don't know if you
1: Yeah, um so for for me walking into that space it was a place that had been in raleigh as a, as a few things and i always loved it i just felt this uh, you know this connection with it and, mm-hmm. and it's the kind of space that you walk into and you can just feel all the old ghosts you know mm-hmm. you you know that many things have happened in that space that are a part of your, are there your city uh, we we believe so we <laughs> just we just try and say hi when we come in and have have a good night when we leave we leave, leave a little uh little leave a little pie or cake yeah. when you leave each night <laughs> that's um, gone the next morning yeah. um, but what I, what i immediately connected with was you know uh, there when you walk in this shotgun building there are these beautiful two um, double horseshoe bar yeah. there the counter which, which,
3: in my opinion, is the place to sit if absolutely. you go
1: to yeah. Well, you know, so, so many people love to sit at the bar anywhere mm-hmm. that you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trouble with sitting at the bar if you're having a conversation with more than one person is that you're constantly leaning and bobbing around to make eye contact. So the horseshoe, I think, is such a beautiful um, symbol of community and that mm-hmm. you just, not only can you talk to the people you're with, but it's inevitable that people strike up conversations with folks they've never met before right. in a really comfortable way. But for me, what we wanted to really carry forward um, and that I would come to begin to build this natural idea of diners that is is comfort. You know, no matter um, what part of the country a diner is in, there's this idea that you're going to feel welcome when you sit down. And then I really, because I felt so comfortable myself there and so at home, I really started to turn so much more comfortably to the, what I grew up with, which was um, you know, two two parents who were incredible cooks who just made you feel comfort all the time. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, my dad was a, a big organic gardener and a hobbyist beekeeper, and my mom grew all the flowers and herbs. And together they just always, you know, cooked like my mom was this sort of rooted southern cook, but at the same time my dad was this truck driver who they were always having these conversations about you know things he saw, or you know that they were reading about, and, mm-hmm. and there was always like comfort in the food, but also something new and fresh. Mm-hmm. And so, I feel like that's really been what we what we focus on.
3: Were they cooking out of you know some of the old food magazines or cookbooks, or just T- there, from family there were, recipes? Uh,
1: well, my mother's grandmother taught her how to cook, and then my dad didn't have much um, you know familial history with <laughs> with food, but uh, you know they read from the old magazines that I feel like my mom used to keep all the copies of and they bought a lot of cookbooks, you know, and, and I do think there was something about the magazines of that time that really opened them up to thinking about, um, things that maybe they hadn't eaten before or that they weren't growing. And so my father, um, you know, would, would look at things that he hadn't had before and figure out how to grow them where we were living.
3: That's cool. There's a reason you are who you are, right? Yeah,
1: Yeah. (laughs) absolutely.
3: Um, so pools. Pools was the name of the old diner before you took it over. Uh,
1: the pool family, you know, it started as Pools Pies, uh-huh. and and then became became the diner, you know, kind of closer to to uh, you know the last twenty years. Uh-huh.
3: So, um, so the cookbook pools. Um, this is your first cookbook, isn't
1: it? This is my yeah, first first book, one. Um,
3: so why, why did you do one? Why didn't you do the Ashley Christensen cookbook? Why did you do the Pools cookbook? Sure. Since you have all these restaurants now, you could have made a. A tome, almost. Right? Yeah, right.
1: and you know, I, I have a, a a two book relationship with That's Ten Speed nice. Press, so I did get to make that decision of ha- right. what what order do I get to tell this story. And I think most most cooks want to write, uh, or you know, want to write a cookbook at some point. Right. Maybe not everybody, but I think a lot of folks who, when you're in the position of, um, you know, restaurants are storytelling. They're, they're like. By way of our plates, we get to represent the history of a space, uh, the future of a city, the the amazing people who grow all the food, and and I also I love to write and mm. and again back back to that storytelling. So it was a real um, it was a real gift for me to get to decide not like if I only get to write one book, what's it going to be. Right. I already knew that you I knew. was going to have the opportunity to do two. So I chose pools as. The first, um, the first of a series of two books, because I really, I'm extremely grateful to Pools for what it pulled out of me and and my commitment to storytelling in the restaurant and to this idea of believing in what makes us who we are.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, chefs used to go, you know, try to get go into culinary bookstores or do something, and now chefs do dinners with their friends, basically, sure. right? To say, and you're going to. Going to the Texas for the first time, you said, which is unbelievable to me that you've never, especially a southern <laughs> southern gal like yourself, and you've never been to Texas.
1: Yeah, it might have might have been that we got like busy opening restaurants way too fast. Too fast. And didn't didn't, right. didn't make it over to Texas, but uh,
3: California, we, and you're going all over the country. Yeah, to do that. going everywhere. Is there one? Um, is there a recipe in here that was on the original pools? Menu.
1: Well, so there's a there is a recipe in what what we call the bowls section. The bowls. Um, there's a recipe uh, we say we talk early in the book about duck confit and how I think that's a great example of something that we look at as uh, a really a, a workhorse item where you put some good energy into something and then you learn how to do that as someone who maybe doesn't cook professionally, but then you can utilize it in all these different ways. And so there's a there's a, a dish that's pretty, pretty big in Southern Diner uh, called Chicken Slick. And it's basically... Chicken Slick? Chicken Slick, what yeah. So it's like chicken and dumplings, uh-huh. usually flat noodles. Um, and they're, you know, like a lot of um, foods of tradition, <laughs> there are a lot of theories on why it's called what it is, right. probably where it came from, all those things. But the, the dish is made with noodles that are bound with fat from like so like you would have like some schmaltz some chicken drippings um, and then uh, you know that's part of the the ingredient of the noodle and then you're cooking it with the the stewed meat and uh, and just a light light dish yeah just a light dish (laughs) exactly but you know for me I think about that and I think like rainy day or hard day or, right. you know, just that, that moment when you sort of need that hug from, uh, from, from the dish. But, um, so that's a great example, I think, of the, the nature of the book and that you say duck confit and people think a lot of things, but they don't necessarily think chicken and dumplings. Right.
3: So, so is the macaroni and cheese recipe in here?
1: It is. Okay. Yeah.
3: And if for anyone who hasn't been to pools, I mean, you probably don't want to sell me to tell people to go down and get macaroni and <laughs> cheese, but. That, that's that's your second home somewhere in California right there is mac and cheese. There you right? go. There you go. Does everybody order the mac and cheese?
1: Pretty much 98%. everybody. 98%. Well, you yeah. know, and like we don't look at it and say, oh, I'm so tired of selling right. the it's macaroni. Not, it's not
3: like you, what David Chang saying I'm done with the with, uh, buns, right. right? Pork buns.
1: <laughs> we we sort of, we realized that um, the macaroni au gratin is the gateway dish it's the ticket. to pools. It's your yeah. <laughs> ticket.
3: Um, what makes
1: it so damn good? Um Butter again, <laughs> well, no, there's 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 no butter, but there's the uh, there's no butter there's, in your, there's yeah. the um, original ingredient of butter, which is cream. Cream, yes. Um, but uh, you know, I th- I think it's once again something that we we talk about from cover to cover in the book, just the idea of looking at really simple things, like if you read the ingredients. Mm-hmm the first thing you say is, well, anybody can make that. Right, and and right. that's true, but to make it for a lot of people, to make it beautifully and consistently, not just anybody can care about it.
3: We'll come back to the book a little yeah. bit, but I have this, uh, an old Bon Appetit magazine yeah. from September 2008, which when I was still at the issue.
1: This is when you and I met. Yes, yeah. this
3: is when you and I met. <laughs> but I, I was looking back at it when I knew you were going to stop by and it was incredible to see, the list of of women that we we included it was melissa perillo who still has several restaurants in san francisco yes kelly Liken, who has a place out in i think beaver creek now hmm. naomi pomeroy who i think has gone on want to win a james beard award and still has beast and a few others allison vines rushing who's still in new orleans correct? still in
1: new orleans wrote a beautiful book
3: yes wrote a great book um alex raj from new york who's got four restaurants and you're doing an event with soon or tonight or whatever Mm. day that is. (laughs) And then you, um, now we would have done a podcast with all you if it was 2016, but how, how has the state of being a chef, being a cook, um, and also being a woman in the kitchen changed since you did this interview eight years ago?
1: Um, I, I think the, nothing's
3: changed. Well, (laughs)
1: sure. Things have changed. Um, I think the the perception has changed a great deal, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. Uh, and I look at, like, this group of women that, that you selected, mm. and A, you were right on. Like, every, <laughs> everybody went into the world and, and did great things. Um, but I, I really think that everybody in this photo feels today about their goals and what they knew they were going to do mm-hmm. Um we all feel the same and i think at that time i i do believe absolutely the world has changed in in some great ways but i look at this group of people and i think these this is a group of women who were all tremendously determined mm-hmm. and when it came to perception well, perception wasn't going to get in the way of what any of these these ladies were going to accomplish so mm-hmm. super proud to be in, mm-hmm. in on that list what what's nice i think is that it's less surprising people now like it's I I don't hear people saying anymore well Ashley's in the city and she's doing these things and and she's a woman you know like so that that's really refreshing to Mm -hmm. all of us
3: has it changed the kind of kitchen culture you know you know in terms of is it easier I mean it just seems you know we've got a important election coming up we do um and Bon is not a political magazine but sure food is politics and we should talk about this stuff is things get said at times that would never get said to a man, you know, is it something that is just kind of, Oh sure. You know, female chefs are all over the place or when you go into a kitchen, are are you accepted, you know, is, or is it, there's some still some sort of, you know, something that you feel that, you know, wait a minute, this isn't cool. You know,
1: I don't see that much. Yeah. And I, I, I can't, I can't really speak from, the perspective mm-hmm. of someone who has been challenged more mm-hmm. by the system, because mm-hmm. that absolutely happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I I came up at an interesting time in an interesting city yeah. uh, in a very interesting state as we've <laughs> come, come to find one of my favorite pieces of pools being that it, it was really the vehicle that got me out into the country, cooking right. with chefs all over the place. I think meeting so many chefs uh, and having the chance to cook together and mm-hmm. form friendships Really, also protected me against Mm -hmm. that in a lot of ways because I had I had this amazing team of friends all over the place who I I just never if there was a something that I was going to walk into and be discriminated against for being a woman I already had too many friends in the game Mm -hmm. who would say Are you kidding me (laughs)
3: Like that's actually
1: you know (laughs) so uh, I think it's changed a lot I think I'm I'm a big fan of. The element of s- surprise dis- disappearing when it comes to the success of a woman mm-hmm. in a restaurant or in a kitchen, and and I do think it is shocking. To I was watching the news this morning, and just the difference in how two candidates are, are treated, yeah. you know, is really wild. It's so, um, um,
3: is is there anything you know earlier f- from when this picture was taken in two thousand eight that you you know if you could go back and tell yourself what you know now, would you have said something?
1: I really don't – I don't think so. I'm so grateful for the path and mm-hmm. every time I make a mistake or, you know, I would never regret it because mm-hmm. I feel like now if you'd asked me five years ago mm-hmm. to fix the things that I might have done, well, I might not be in the position that I am now, which I know is, feels a little bit like a canned answer, but it's true. You mm-hmm. know, when I look up and outside of success, like my version of how I measure our success – has I've matured to a place of viewing that by looking at all the incredible people who work with us. Mm-hmm. When you say I own seven restaurants, well, I don't own. I may own them, but I don't run seven yeah, restaurants. You, yeah. you know, I have an incredible team of folks who, aside from keeping things consistent and you know sticking to uh, what what we view as our. Uh, you know, set of standards, mm-hmm. they take it well beyond that. So that's the thing for any, I, I look at ways where I might've handled something poorly and like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that that way, or right. w- wish I hadn't done that or put that on a menu, whatever it might be. And when I look around at the people that I work with every day, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't change a second right. of it. So, so you,
3: you've, I feel like you've been part of the, um, a crucial part of this Southern kind of food Renaissance and revolution that happened. And you're, you know, you're part of the reason that, um, when you go out to New York, you can get pimento cheese now in New York city. And and, and people, I have New Yorkers telling me how to make pimento cheese now. And I just roll my eyes. I, f- I forgot away.
1: to mention that I actually brought you some pimento oh, cheese. Oh, you did. Wow. Get. That's Southern
3: hospitality. <laughs> no, but I, and so I think you've been part of, you know, a crucial person in that. And then also, you know, restaurants are such a crucial part of revitalizing neighborhoods. And, and I, uh, you know, part of this Southern Renaissance has been, I feel like the Southern city has been reignited. You know, the Triangle area where you're from, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, but specifically Raleigh, has changed dramatically since you opened pools. Sure. Um, and you're a part of that community. And I just—I have to ask you about, you know, I know North Carolina is a beautiful state. I've been there many times, and it's got amazing people, and the cities are gorgeous, and the sports are pretty cool, too. But, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff happening in North Carolina, whether it's protest in Charlotte. Sure. Um, or some of the laws that have been passed recently, and how do you view your role? You know, as being a chef who you know people listen to and 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 like. What's your role in that? Do you kind of take a step back? Or
1: that's a great question, and I really appreciate you asking it. Uh, I, I'm always very careful to put my personal political agenda, um, you know, to hang it from the sign of any of our restaurants mm-hmm. because I do think. For all, you know, we employ two hundred and sixty-five people. Mm-hmm. I think, for the most part, we are fairly like-minded mm-hmm. people who appreciate a lot of the same things, and really, um, on a daily basis, at this point, kind of have to go to battle for a lot of a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, I, I want to go after my goals from the inside. Mm-hmm. So I want to welcome folks. I want to create a table where people feel like they can be heard, mm-hmm. where they can have great conversations, um, and I think if we all just hang it all on the outside and, um, you know, push push back against uh, things that are going on, mm-hmm. then we don't have the opportunity to change minds. Mm-hmm. So, uh, historically, I've been pretty... You know, careful about personal political agenda. Mm-hmm. Now that has all changed as of late. When when it came to a matter of human rights and equality mm-hmm. for all people, mm-hmm. and I when I look at that and I and I decide what we're going to speak up about, I I consider the I'm still considering the 265 people that work with us because I believe they all deserve the same rights. Mm-hmm. And so, something like the bill of uh, the HB two. Yeah. Um, One of the big concerning issues for me there was, you know, it was referred to as the bathroom bill, which you may know we chose to convert all of our single occupancy bathrooms to people rooms, which I can't imagine a single argument against doing that. We've read some of them, but I think that with everything that's going on right now, our goal is to speak positively and intelligently, and to try and make a, a a difference in our community by making sure that people understand the power of their voices, mm-hmm. and the, of course the power of their vote. We were getting letters from folks about the people rooms were who you? we would read them, and it was so clear that so many of them had never been in right. the restaurant. Right. You know, so but we just installed in all of our in all the glass fronts of our restaurants a you know a statement that just says. In, our, in whatever the design of that particular shop's name is, mm-hmm. don't forget to vote. In all the restaurants.
3: In all the restaurants. And, the restaurants. Yeah, exactly.
1: and, I, and I think what, what we can go ahead and plan on are the people who are going to say, I'm so tired of the political agenda of this restaurant. Well, right. uh, reminding people to vote, you know, that's just how, that's how the... Arguments seem to work, but we're we're not standing up and saying this is wrong, that's wrong. We all know that we we know right. what's what's right and wrong, and um, we've we've taken a real stand to mm-hmm. remind people of uh, the importance of equality. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I say human rights, I mean everybody. Right? You know.
3: <laughs> well, food brings people together. So, if there's one recipe that people do make out of the the pool's cookbook, what what would be the what would be the first one that you would want them to make?
1: That's a great question. <laughs> I want them to make them all. Make them um, all. I guess you bring up pimento cheese. Yeah. Um, I think um, it's a great example of, of this idea of just sweating the details. Mm-hmm. You know, And, and I, I, th- I think in food, when we take classic things and work to bring a new voice to them. I think that's where we do it and and really caring about, um, though, of course, you can sub in any of the the ingredients for things that other people make, giving people the opportunity to control all those factors. So, So saying like, you know, if if you roast the peppers yourself, this is the flavor that you can achieve. This right. is the texture you can achieve. So, you know, I'm I'm content with no one ever cooking out of the book uh, and just reading it because I think the lessons and the information and the experiences that we share are explained to a detail that it's hard to not take away mm-hmm. some experience just from just from reading it.
3: Uh, so, pools the the cookbook is out now. Go buy it. Um. Thank you, Ashley Christian. Thank you. Uh, but before you go, uh, we have to give you the lightning round questions. Oh, great! So you have to give me an answer. Okay. You can give me an explanation, but it can't <laughs> sure. be long. Okay. We'll go. We'll go with what we're talking about: pimento cheese or boiled peanuts.
1: Pimento cheese needs needs no needs no defense. Though I love boiled peanuts. <laughs>
3: uh, late night grilled cheese or late night tacos. <sighs>
1: Gosh, that's, that's tough. tough. I'm going to go tacos.
3: Tacos. What, what are you putting in your taco?
1: Uh, well, kind I think of meat? I, I think the reason I'm going to say tacos is because there's so much opportunity for it to be so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, uh, you know, pork is a, a natural answer where we are, but so great with with so many things. Okay.
3: San Francisco or New York? New York. Thank you. You're welcome. Pancakes or waffles.
1: <laughs> I, because I tend to sort of be neither on the regular ordering basis, but I would say, I would say waffles for, uh, you and I's appreciation of the yes. waffle house and my mother every, before I leave town, when I visit her, she insists that we go to the waffle house and she never wants to own the order, but there's always a pecan waffle for the table.
3: <laughs> Shrimp or crab? Shrimp. Okay. More. I knew you were going to say that. I think I know the answer to this, but let's do Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Politics aside. Or <laughs> Waffle House.
1: Waffle House. Okay.
3: She didn't pause. <laughs> How about roasted or braised? Roasted. Roasted. Two more. Corn or tomatoes? Tomatoes. Tomatoes. And um, last but not least, which I think I know the answer, olive oil or butter? <sighs> Chefs hate this question. I, it's so
1: that's tough. a tough one because I'm so used to putting olive oil in a pan and then finishing it with butter. (laughs) Um, Why don't we say butter?
3: Butter. All right. Ashley Christensen, thanks so much.
1: Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Carrie Polis, Emma Wurtzman, and Lily Sherman with editing by Mitra Caboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any episode, Email us at bonappetitfoodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Plus, we're now offering online cooking classes with Sir Latab that feature our recipes. Sign up at bonappetit.com cooking classes and learn how to make everything from pork chops to molten chocolate cake. Thanks for listening.